Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I do need your sympathy. I've not been feeling well this week. No, it's worse than that. That's a bit better. And uh, I do like preaching when I'm ill. Because if I don't do very well, I can say, well, I was ill. But if I do all right... People will say, wow, if he preaches like that when he's ill, what must he be like when he's in full health? So I can't really lose, can I? But um, <clears throat> I've just been struggling with a bit of a chest infection this week. And, uh, but God is good. God is good. And uh, I do want to share something of God's word. As Carol said at the beginning, I do feel I have a word for people this evening. I'm going to be saying lots of different things, okay? And as I said before, I will start in the afternoon and finish in the evening. Because it is quarter to six, and it is still afternoon. And by the time I finish, it will be after six. All right? But I do want to say lots of things. And I'm going to sort of throw a lot of little thoughts out. Um, And, you know, I believe there's nothing wrong with the seed. It's all about the soil. And if we think about the parable of the sower for a moment, there was nothing ever wrong with the seed. It was all about where it fell. That's the important thing. And as I just preach God's word and teach God's word this evening, and it's good to see some people with pens and bits of paper. I don't know if you're making your shopping list or whatever, but it it looks encouraging. Or next year's Christmas list. Um, I want to encourage you to do that. Write some things down. You know, the weakest ink is better than the finest memory. And sometimes it's good just to write some things down if God has spoken to you tonight. And the, the seed is just going to go out. And I hope it's going to fall on good soil. Not the rocks or the path or amongst the weeds, but good soil this evening. Amen? So that would be, that would be great. I want to read just a few verses from the Old Testament to start us off this evening. 1 Samuel 18, 6 to 7, and then we'll look at Psalm 51. So 1 Samuel 18, 6 to 7, well-known verses. It says, When the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and with lyres. And as they danced, they sang these words, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And then just over to Psalm 51. A psalm, again, of David. 
This is David speaking, Psalm 51, 3 to 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This evening, I want to look at the life of David. And in particular, I want us to look at David's fame, but also David's shame. Those two seasons in his life, the highs and the lows, the mountaintop, but also the valley. David's fame, but also David's shame. And I love how the Bible often is brutally honest in how it portrays its characters. Because it doesn't just give you the good, but it also gives you the bad and the ugly. It's a warts and all account. It's very honest in how it portrays its characters. So not only does it depict Noah as a great man of faith, for example, but also a man who got himself drunk. Not only do we see Samson, a man of great power and authority, who did great exploits for God, but we also see Samson, the womanizer. Not only do we see Peter, the enthusiastic one that walked on water, and I'll do anything for God. But we also see Peter, the one who denied knowing Jesus in the first place. It's the highs and it's the lows. David's fame and David's shame. The various seasons of his life. The mountaintop and the valley. And I want to say at the outset, it's, it's amazing how easily and how quickly you can go from one to the other. Sometimes you think you've got your life all sorted out and I'm okay now, I'm coasting through, I'm serving Jesus. So, but then to realize you've got nothing sorted out. And those weak points, those Achilles heels, actually have never been dealt with. It's very, very easy to go from the mountaintop to the valley. Remember Elijah? 1 Kings 18, on the mountaintop, quite literally, on Mount Carmel, calling down fire, taking on 450 prophets of Baal, showing them who was the true living God. Wow, the mountaintop experience, the Carmel experience. But then the next chapter, few words from a woman. No comments there. A few words from a woman and he runs for his life and he's underneath the juniper tree. Oh Lord, take my life. Chapter 18, on the mountaintop. Chapter 19, under the tree. Chapter 18, in control of his life. Chapter 19, he wants to take his life. Very easy, isn't it, to go from one to the other. 
Peter, Lord, I'll never deny you. A few days later, I've never met the man. How easy to go from those seasons, one season to another in our lives. First of all, then, David's fame. The women came out singing and dancing. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, <laughs> he's on another level. He's killed his tens of thousands. David's fame. I don't know about you, I love the story of David. It, it is the stuff of Hollywood. They should make a film about David. It is the stuff of Hollywood, how this small town boy makes good. Rags to riches. A nobody who became a somebody. I'm sure we know the story very well, how uh, after Saul, Saul was dismissed as king because he was not a man of obedience. He didn't do exactly what God told him to do. Very important to do exactly what God told you to do. He knew better. The Lord said, get rid of all the Amalekites, Agag, all of the sheep. Get rid of everything. Wipe them all out. But he knew better. I'll just keep back Agag. I'll keep back a few sheep. And I'll offer them to the Lord. Very spiritual response. But he didn't do exactly what God told him to do. And the throne was taken away from him. And God said to Samuel one day, the, the, the prophet and the priest, he says, how long are you going to mourn for the old king of Israel? Get up, go to Jesse's household and anoint a new king. So we know that he goes to Jesse's house, says, bring out all your sons. And they all paraded before Samuel like a Mr. Universe contest. flexing their muscles perhaps, tall, good-looking, impressive-looking people, because that's who we choose. Men choose Saul. God chooses David's. We look at the outward appearance, and they seem to have it all. They seem to look the part. They can speak. They can sing. They're persuasive. Let's have them as our leader. We should be looking for David's. Not the outward appearance, but it's the heart. And they all paraded before Samuel, strutting their stuff, flexing their muscles. Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, they were all there, but God said nothing. Samuel said to Jesse, have you got any other sons? Well, yes, I have one more. But it's only David. He's out in the fields, so they called for David. And as soon as he came into the house, God spoke to Samuel. He's the one. Aren't those moments wonderful when God speaks? That's it. Takes away all the confusion. Is it that one or that one? God speaks. That's the one. And he anointed David. Young shepherd boy, David. And took a horn of oil, poured it over him, and he was anointed as 
the next king. Interestingly, after he was anointed and chosen to be the next king, where did David go? Not to the palace as the future king, but he went back to the fields. Because David had to learn to be faithful in the fields. Before he could lead God's people, he had to learn to lead some sheep. Before he could protect a nation, he had to protect the flock. He had to chase off the lion and the bear with his sling. He had to be faithful in the fields. He had to be faithful in this before he could get that. Faithful in the present so that you might be used in the future. And he had to get it right in the fields. That's where he had to learn to depend upon God. If he cannot do it here, he will never do it there. Faithful in the fields. Faithful in the small things, the insignificant things when nobody sees you. You're out in the fields, in the cold, looking after a few dumb sheep. Nobody's going to see me. If you don't get that right, that ain't ever going to come. Some people look at me and say, oh, Stephen, you travel a lot, and you're vice principal, and you, you do all these supposedly wonderful things. You know, the first couple of years of my Christian life, and I felt the call of God on my life almost straight after I was saved. But the first couple of years of my life, you know what they got me to do? Give out the hymn books. Do you remember hymn books? <laughs> Got to be over a certain age, I think, to remember the hymn books. The things that we now use to prop open the door. Um, I gave out the hymn books. That wasn't very exciting, and I wanted the pulpit. God had called me to the pastoral ministry, and uh, you know I couldn't waste my time giving out books. But it's very clear, if I didn't get that right... I'm not going to get that right. If I couldn't be faithful in turning up early and giving a book to each person and welcoming them at the door, I couldn't get that right. And then I had a promotion. Yes. Because I did that well, after a year or so, they promoted me to the overhead projector. Again, do you remember, not this, not this wonderful thing, but the... The OHP, where you had an acetate, and you used to get it backwards and upside down and trying to read the words. Well, I had a promotion to the overhead projector. Yes. I wanted the pulpit. If I wasn't faithful with the hymn books, if I wasn't faithful with the OHP, there wouldn't be a platform. My pastor was very careful with me, and I'm so glad he was. He was faithful in the fields. And while he was in the fields, something was going on around him. Because while he was in the fields, a battle was taking place. The Israelites and the Philistines. 
The Philistines, the arch enemies of the Israelites. And the Israelites, if you like, were on one side. The Philistines were on the other side. And there was this valley in between. And we're told every day for about 40 days, Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army, came out and challenged God's people. And mocked their God. Made fun of Yahweh. And nobody did anything about it. I'm just wondering, why didn't Saul do something about it? He didn't lead by example. Because we know that Saul was a tall man, don't we? He was the head and shoulders man. He didn't use head and shoulders shampoo. Maybe he did, but he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was impressive. He was tall. He was a big man. Why didn't he go out and challenge Goliath? And every day he would come out and mock God and mock Jehovah. And during this time, David was asked by his father, can you go to your brothers in the battlefields and give them some food? So he did that. Why? Because he's an obedient person. He did what he was told to do took some food to his brothers. And while he was giving out the food, he heard what Goliath was saying. Mocking God. Challenging God's people. And he looks around and says, is anyone going to do anything? Ever been like that? Is, can you hear this? Is it just me? Is anybody going to stand up and make a difference? No, nobody was going to. They were all quaking in their shoes. So David says, then I'll do something. I'll fight him. You? But you're David. You're too small. You're too weak. You're too young. You're too inexperience leave it to us but he was adamant God's name you see is at stake somebody has got to challenge this giant and when they realized he was serious about facing the giant what did Saul do then David I'll make you like me I'll give you my armor. And he puts his armor on little David and gives him his big sword, which is bigger than David, and David cannot move. Why? Because you can't fight in someone else's armor. You cannot use someone else's weapons. David had to be David. David had to use what he was used to, a sling. He couldn't be a carbon copy of Saul. He had to be himself. I think it's the same for us. Let me challenge you, don't fight in someone else's armor. Don't use someone else's weapon. What do I mean by this? 
Don't try and be someone else. Don't try and copy someone else's gifting. Oh, if only I was like that. If you're going to be like someone else, who's going to be you? God has given you a gift. And if you're in Christ this evening, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has given you gifts. He's put gifts in you. Some have more than others, but every single one of us has at least something to use for God. Don't try and be someone else because it will go horribly wrong. He could not move in someone else's armor. He had to be David. He couldn't be Saul. After a couple of years of giving out the hymn books and the overhead projector, they asked me to give a little word. on Sunday night at the gospel meeting. Only 10 minutes. And I think there was others from the youth group that were starting out their preaching, so I had about four or five people giving 10 minutes each. Bit of a sort of a tag team type thing. Stephen, can you be the first on? Can you give a 10-minute word? Wow, I'd never preached before. And no one was able to help me put a message together. So I thought, well, I, I do want to impress because I want to be asked again. It's always nice to be invited back somewhere, isn't it? Hint, hint, right. So the only point of reference I had was the, the person I was saved under. His preaching, and that happened to be Dr. Billy Graham. Wow. That'll impress them. So I got an old Billy Graham videotape. Remember videotapes, anyone? Okay. And I played it. Kept stopping it, writing down every word. So I got my message right, but then I had to sort of look a little bit like Billy Graham. <laughs> I practiced in front of the mirror, you know, started to point. You know, make the appeal. Come down from the top. Start making your way down now. Onto the field. If you came in a coach, it will wait for you. And I thought, well, I need to put a bit of a twang. Because all the best preachers, whether well, either from America or they're from Northern Ireland, it would seem. So a little bit of a southern twang. Put the suit on, greased back the hair, got it all sorted. I preach just like Billy Graham. Got everything right, pointed at the right time. Made the appeal, nobody got saved. Actually, I think it was better than Billy Graham, but nobody got saved. Because I realized I can't fight in someone else's armor. Can't use someone else's weapon. I can't copy someone else's ministry. I had to be Stephen Jenkins not Billy Graham. Put on it, the armor on David. He couldn't move. Maybe I just need to be myself. And he went out and faced the giant, we know the story well, with a sling, what he was used to. And we know that he brought down 
the giant. Came against the giant in the name of the Lord of hosts. Not in his own strength, but in the Lord's strength. That's the important thing. I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And let me just say, all those hours of practicing with the sling in the wilderness, in those boring moments when nothing's happening, practicing with his sling, knocking off perhaps tin cans, if they had those in those days, chasing off the bear and the lion, all those hours and days and years perhaps of practicing, it all came together in a moment. Came in handy at a moment in time to bring down the giant. How did he bring down the giant? Yes, God was in it, but he was skilled, it says. He was skilled at using his weapon. What am I saying? If you've got a gift, God gives you the gift, but it's up to you to develop the gift. It's up to you to polish the gift. God gives you something, but you've also got to do something about it. We work with God. You might think, well, I, I feel God is calling me to be a preacher and it seems to be recognized. Then learn how to preach. Yes. Go on a course. Go to Mattersea. Read a book. Get together with people of like gifting. Something will rub off. My point is practice. Because it all might come together in a moment of time. God gives the gift, but we've got to hone it. We've got to polish it. We've got to develop it and do something about it. He faced the giant, he had five smooth stones, and he only needed one. Five smooth stones, he swung the sling, the stone hit Goliath, perhaps in the only place where he was not covered with armor, the forehead, and brought him, brought him down. Lesson for us. Make sure you're fully covered with the armor. Because the enemy, our enemy, knows our weak spot. And those parts of our lives that we don't cover with the armor, guess where he's going to hit? He's going to get you there. That's why it says, put on, is it Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Not put on the armor, put on the full armor. Make sure you are totally covered with God's armor. And who puts it on? God doesn't put it on. You put it on. Make sure you're fully covered because he knows your Achilles heel. And we all have weak points. I have weak points. I'm aware of those weak points in my life. And I've got to be very careful that I cover those areas with armor. That I'm very wise about those areas. People close to me are aware of those areas. And they can speak into my life. The only place where he was not covered, and it hit him in the forehead. Brought him down, chopped off his head, 
And what a great victory, not just for him, but for the nation. Question this evening. When David faced that giant, I think we're told he's about nine feet. I can't even fathom that. Nine feet. When he faced this huge monster of a man, why didn't he fear? Why wasn't he afraid? Why was he able to bring him down? It's because of this. Because when he faced Goliath, he realized that even though this man was big, he realized that God was bigger. He didn't look naturally, but he looked supernaturally. Even though this giant might have eclipsed the sun, he couldn't see beyond the giant. He realized that God, the God that he served, was far bigger than this giant. Even though this man is powerful, he realized God is all-powerful. Now, why do I say that? I say that because we do face giants. No doubt every single one of us here this evening, if we had the time to go round, we're all facing something right now that seems huge. Perhaps some people are facing real sickness. Not sickness like I've got, but I mean real sickness, illness, serious stuff. Maybe some of you are facing debt. And your debt, it, it's huge. And you can't see beyond it. Maybe some of you are facing unemployment. It could be a whole host of things. And when we face these things, they are huge, aren't they? We can't see anything else. We've got to realize whatever we face tonight, whatever the giant is, God is bigger. Maybe you're facing an addiction and you can't break free. Well, you don't think you can break free. And it's huge. God is bigger. Sickness, God is bigger. Debt, God is bigger. Unemployment, God is bigger. And whatever we face, we don't face in our own strength. We don't face in our own name, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. What a great victory that was. Great victory for David. Great victory for the whole nation. Enemy was defeated. David became popular. They sang songs about him. If David had Facebook, well, we'd all want to befriend David. A lot of likes on that Facebook page. They sang songs. Saul has killed his thousands. Oh, David. Nobody like David. Tens of thousands. David's fame. But some years later, the same David in a different time, a different place, now grown up a little bit, made a big mistake. We know that David went on to become king, indeed, as he was anointed to do. King of Israel and king of Judah, king of the whole kingdom. 
He ruled the whole lot. He had many beautiful wives. He had prestige. He had power. He had money, servants, children, cattle, homes to live in. Incredible what he had. He had everything. And he got a bit complacent. Well, he's arrived, isn't he? That's it. He's fulfilled God's plan for his life. And he began to get complacent. Because the Bible says one day when the kings went to war, David stayed. It begs the question, if the kings went to war, why didn't David go? David, what are you doing? Why aren't you with the other kings? Why aren't you doing what you should be doing? And then he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not doing what he should have done. Can I say, when we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, when we don't do what we should do, it can all go horribly, horribly wrong for us. When we're not doing what we should, when we're not in the right place, it can go horribly wrong. When the kings went to war, David stayed. And because he stayed, he strayed. We know the story. One day, looking out of his royal palace, he looks out and sees his beautiful woman, Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, the Hittite, bathing. Instead of closing the curtains, putting the blinds down, going off and doing something else, don't look, David. Because you can't help the first look, can you? If you see something, you can't always help that. It's the second look that's important. And he had another look, and he liked what he saw. And then he inquired about her, found out who she was. And then his mind started to go round and round. And he said, well, bring her to my room. That happened. He slept with her, and she fell pregnant. Now, David's got a problem. Well, he has a choice to make. He can either own up and says, look, you know, I've made a mistake. Or he can try and cover it up. And he decided to try and cover it up. This is the same David. He finds out about Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Well, let, let's, let's bring him back from the battle. Let's get him to sleep with Bathsheba. And we can pretend that the baby is Uriah's. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? It's the Bible. You might think, oh, it's just the Bible. Let's get Uriah back, and he can pretend, and we can all pretend that this is Uriah's baby. Well, he comes back, but he doesn't want to sleep with his wife. So David has another problem. How can I get out of this? What I'll do, I'll put Uriah in the front line of the battle so he'll get killed. And then I open the way then to make Bathsheba 
another of my wives. And nobody will know any different, will they? Exactly what he did. Uriah dies, quickly takes her as his wife, goes on, she's pregnant. Everyone thinks, that's okay. They've done things properly. And David thinks he's got away with it. Feeling chuffed with himself. Oh, that was a close one. I think I got away with it. You see, the issue is that God saw. And one day along comes Nathan. Don't you love Nathans? You like Nathan, don't you? I think every person should have a Nathan in their life. Spiritually speaking. Somebody who is going to come to us and tell us the truth. Not yes people. I don't want those. But people are going to say it as it is. David, you've messed up. And God knows and God's not happy. Who's brave enough to do that? Well, Nathan comes along and says, David, do you like stories? Well, David said, oh, I love stories. Well, let me tell you then a little story. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes. Tell me the story. Okay, here we go. There were once two men. One was a very rich man and one was a very poor man. The rich man owned lots of sheep. Lots of property, lots of houses. He was very, very wealthy. He had lots of animals. The poor man that lived down the street didn't own very much. In fact, he only had one little lamb. Oh. And this lamb, it was part of the family. It was living in the home with them, and it grew up with his children, and it was just, you know, a member of the, like a daughter, it says. He treated this little lamb, like a daughter. One day the rich man had a visitor, a guest that turned up at the last minute, and he has to provide a meal for this visitor. But instead of slaughtering one of his own lambs, what does he do? He goes down the road and he steals that one lamb from the poor man. Kills it. And feeds his guest. The end. And David, well, that wasn't a very nice story. Actually, is that true? Nathan said, it is. Then give me the name of that person. Oh, when I deal with him, when I finish with him, I tell you. Give me his name. Who is that man? How could he just take that poor lamb? He had loads of lambs, and yet he took the poor lamb. Give me his name. You really want to know, David? Oh, yes, I want to know. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. You asked for it. Famous words in Scripture. David, you are that man. What do you mean? David... You had many wives. You had everything. You had many beautiful women, and yet you took a woman who belonged to Uriah. She did not belong to you. 
and you took her. You didn't think about anybody else. You try to squirm your way out of it. Oh, the progression of sin. Started off with a, a thought, then lust, then adultery, and then murder, and lying through it all. How sin progresses, doesn't it? When we try and cover it up, little things will become bigger things. David, you are that man. And then he realized what he'd done. And what I love about David, when David got it wrong, he owned up to it. Because we're told that he repented. Don't believe me? Read Psalm 51 again. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He cried out to God. And he took it on the chin. Okay, I've done wrong. And he repented. David's shame. Even though David repented and was forgiven, there were still consequences. Because forgiveness and consequences aren't always the same. God forgives us if we truly repent. But sometimes we might have to live in the consequences of the mistakes that we've made. Let me just say for David, yes, God forgave him. But it was never the same again. Everything started to go wrong with David and his family. The baby died. His other children went wild. There was incest and rape. Try to usurp his authority and take the throne from David. His, his children were fighting. And the one thing that David wanted to do above everything else was to build the temple. And God said one day, you're not going to be able to build the temple because the blood of Uriah the Hittite is still on your hands. Solomon's going to do it. The one thing he wanted to do, build a home for the Lord, and he couldn't do it. There are consequences. Forgiveness, yes, but also consequences. That's why we've got to be so careful about the decisions and the choices we make. Samson was forgiven. He had a second chance. The Bible says Samson's hair grew again. But the consequences were he lost his eyesight. Prodigal son, he was received back by the father. Consequences, he's lost his inheritance. You're going to get that back again. Not another inheritance for him. He spent it. He spent it. There is forgiveness. Praise God for that. That is the most important thing to get. Sometimes there are consequences. I want to urge you, let's be careful about the decisions that we make. So David's fame. Saul has killed his thousands, but David... Tens of thousands. Faced the giant. Brought down the giant. Won a great victory for him and for the nation. But very quickly we see David's shame. In the wrong place at the wrong time. Why didn't you go off to war? 
Why don't you do where, what you should have done? It's so important that we're in the right place at the right time. We don't disobey. Otherwise, everything will go wrong. I don't know if God's been speaking to you tonight. I don't know where you feel, whether you feel like David facing Goliath or whether you feel a little bit like David with Nathan. As I was preparing this message, do feel there are some people who you're facing giants. In a sense, I don't need a word of knowledge for that. We all face difficulties, don't we? But your giant, you cannot see beyond it. And it's been mocking you. It's been taunting you. You cannot see beyond it. It's eclipsing everything else. It is your life. And it might be one of those things I've mentioned. It might be unemployment. You just can't seem to find a job. It might be debt. You're going under. It might be sickness, an illness, and the doctors can do nothing for you. Nobody can do anything for you. And it is a giant. It could be a whole host of things this evening. I just feel that some people need to face their giant this evening. And not to put up with it, not to run away from it, but to face it. Because you need to realize whatever you face, as huge as it may seem, God is bigger. He's bigger than unemployment. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than debt. He's bigger than sickness. Whatever that problem is, he is bigger. And just a few moments we've got left. I know time is going so quickly. I have just checked this out with Pastor Danny. I just feel that some people need just to respond. Because you're learning to live with this thing. And this giant has become a part of your life. And it's always there every morning, taunting you. And you've just got used to it. You become immune to it. It's a part of your life. It doesn't need to be part of your life anymore because the giant needs to fall. It needs to fall, and it needs to fall tonight. And we can pray with you, and we will pray with you, but you need to realize tonight, you need to have the faith to realize God is bigger because often we can see a very big devil and a very small God. And I don't know where this is theologically. But I think it's a very big God. And a very small devil. Yes the devil has power. I'm not going to be ignorant. He is a roaring lion. He does cause damage. I've seen it. You've seen it. But God is bigger. The devil might be powerful. But God is all powerful. And tonight, maybe you've got to see a big God and a smaller problem. Not a big problem and a small God. God is bigger than whatever you face.